section forty eight of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten continued part two prose writers of the romantic period aside from the splendid work of the novel writers walter scott whom we have considered and jane austen to whom we shall presently return the early nineteenth century is remarkable for the development of a new and valuable type of critical prose writing if we accept the isolated work of dryden and of addison it is safe to say that literary criticism in its modern sense was hardly known in england until about the year eighteen twenty five such criticism as existed seems to us now to have been largely the result of personal opinion or prejudice indeed we could hardly expect anything else before some systematic study of our literature as a whole had been attempted in one age a poem was called good or bad according as it followed or ran counter to so-called classic rules in another we have the dogmatism of dr johnson in a third the personal judgment of lockhart and the editors of the edinburgh review and the quarterly who so violently abused keats and the lake poets in the name of criticism early in the nineteenth century there arose a new school of criticism which was guided by knowledge of literature on the one hand and by what one might call the fear of god on the other the latter element showed itself in a profound human sympathy the essence of the romantic movement and its importance was summed up by de quincey when he said not to sympathize is not to understand these new critics with abundant reverence for past masters could still lay aside the dogmatism and prejudice which marked johnson and the magazine editors and read sympathetically the work of a new author with the sole idea of finding what he had contributed or tried to contribute to the magnificent total of our literature coleridge hunt hazlitt lamb and de quincey were the leaders in this new and immensely important development and we must not forget the importance of the new periodicals like the london magazine founded in eighteen twenty in which lamb de quincey and carlyle found their first real encouragement of coleridge's biographica literaria and his lectures on shakespeare we have already spoken lee hunt seventeen eighty four eighteen fifty nine wrote continuously for more than thirty years as editor and essayist and his chief object seems to have been to make good literature known and appreciated william hazlitt seventeen seventy eight eighteen thirty in a long series of lectures and essays treated all reading as a kind of romantic journey into new and pleasant countries to his work largely with that of lamb was due the new interest in elizabethan literature which so strongly influenced keats's last and best volume of poetry for those interested in the art of criticism and in the appreciation of literature both hunt and hazlitt will well repay study but we must pass over their work to consider the larger literary interest of lamb and de quincey 
who were not simply critics of other men's labor but who also produced some delightful work of their own which the world has carefully put away among the things worthy to be remembered charles lamb seventeen seventy five eighteen thirty four in lamb and wordsworth we have two widely different views of the romantic movement one shows the influence of nature and solitude the other of society lamb was a lifelong friend of coleridge and an admirer and defender of the poetic creed of wordsworth but while the latter lived apart from men content with nature and with reading an occasional moral lesson to society lamb was born and lived in the midst of the london streets the city crowd with its pleasures and occupations its endless little comedies and tragedies alone interested him according to his own account when he paused in the crowded street tears would spring to his eyes tears of pure pleasure at the abundance of so much good life and when he wrote he simply interpreted that crowded human life of joy and sorrow as wordsworth interpreted the woods and waters without any desire to change or to reform them he has given us the best pictures we possess of coleridge hazlitt lander hood cowden clark and many more of the interesting men and women of his age and it is due to his insight and sympathy that the life of those far-off days seems almost as real to us as if we ourselves remembered it of all our english essayists he is the most lovable partly because of his delicate old-fashioned style and humor but more because of that cheery and heroic struggle against misfortune which shines like a subdued light in all his writings life in the very heart of london there is a curious old-fashioned place known as the temple an enormous rambling apparently forgotten structure dusty and still in the midst of the endless roar of the city streets originally it was a chapter-house of the knights templars and so suggests to us the spirit of the crusades and of the middle ages but now the building is given over almost entirely to the offices and lodgings of london lawyers it is this queer old place which more than all others is associated with the name of charles lamb i was born he says and passed the first seven years of my life in the temple its gardens its halls its fountain its river these are my oldest recollections he was the son of a poor clerk or rather servant of one of the barristers and was the youngest of seven children only three of whom survived infancy of these three john the elder was apparently a selfish creature who took no part in the heroic struggle of his brother and sister at seven years charles was sent to the famous bluecoat charity school of christ's hospital here he remained seven years and here he formed his lifelong friendship for another poor neglected boy whom the world remembers as coleridge note see christ's hospital five and thirty years ago in essays of elia when only fourteen years old lamb left the charity school and was soon at work as a clerk in the south sea house 
two years later he became a clerk in the famous india house where he worked steadily for thirty-three years with the exception of six weeks in the winter of seventeen ninety five seventeen ninety six spent within the walls of an asylum in seventeen ninety six lamb's sister mary who was as talented and remarkable as lamb himself went violently insane and killed her own mother for a long time after this appalling tragedy she was in an asylum at hoxton then lamb in seventeen ninety seven brought her to his own little house and for the remainder of his life cared for her with a tenderness and devotion which furnishes one of the most beautiful pages in our literary history at times the malady would return to mary giving sure warning of its terrible approach and then brother and sister might be seen walking silently hand in hand to the gates of the asylum their cheeks wet with tears one must remember this as well as lamb's humble lodgings and the drudgery of his daily work in the big commercial house if he would appreciate the pathos of the old familiar faces or the heroism which shines through the most human and the most delightful essays in our language when lamb was fifty years of age the east india company led partly by his literary fame following his first essays of elia and partly by his thirty-three years of faithful service granted him a comfortable pension and happy as a boy turned loose from school he left india house for ever to give himself up to literary work he wrote to wordsworth in april eighteen twenty five i came home for ever on tuesday of last week it was like passing from life into eternity curiously enough lamb seems to lose power after his release from drudgery and his last essays published in eighteen thirty three lack something of the grace and charm of his earlier work he died at edmonton in eighteen thirty four and his gifted sister mary sank rapidly into the gulf from which his strength and gentleness had so long held her back no literary man was ever more loved and honored by a rare circle of friends and all who knew him bear witness to the simplicity and goodness which any reader may find for himself between the lines of his essays works the works of lamb divide themselves naturally into three periods first there are his early literary efforts including the poems signed c l in coleridge's poems on various subjects seventeen ninety six his romance rosamund gray seventeen ninety eight his poetical drama john woodville eighteen o two and various other immature works in prose and poetry this period comes to an end in eighteen o three when he gave up his newspaper work especially the contribution of six jokes puns and squibs daily to the morning post at sixpence apiece the second period was given largely to literary criticism and the tales from shakespeare eighteen o seven written by charles and mary lamb the former reproducing the tragedies and the latter the comedies may be regarded as his first successful literary venture 
the book was written primarily for children but so thoroughly had brother and sister steeped themselves in the literature of the elizabethan period that young and old alike were delighted with this new version of shakespeare's stories and the tales are still regarded as the best of their kind in our literature in eighteen o eight appeared his specimens of english dramatic poets contemporary with shakespeare this carried out the splendid critical work of coleridge and was the most noticeable influence in developing the poetic qualities of keats as shown in his last volume essays of elia the third period includes lamb's criticisms of life which are gathered together in his essays of elia eighteen twenty three and his last essays of elia which were published ten years later these famous essays began in eighteen twenty with the appearance of the new london magazine note in the first essay the south sea house lamb assumed as a joke the name of a former clerk elia other essays followed and the name was retained when several successful essays were published in book form in eighteen twenty three in these essays elia is lamb himself and cousin bridget is his sister mary End of note. and were continued for many years such subjects as the dissertation on roast pig old china praise of chimney sweepers imperfect sympathies a chapter on ears mrs battle's opinions on whist mackery end grace before meat dream children and many others being chosen apparently at random but all leading to a delightful interpretation of the life of london as it appeared to a quiet little man who walked unnoticed through its crowded streets in the first and last essays which we have mentioned dissertation on roast pig and dream children we have the extremes of lamb's humor and pathos lamb's style the style of all these essays is gentle old-fashioned irresistibly attractive lamb was especially fond of old writers and borrowed unconsciously from the style of burton's anatomy of melancholy and from brown's religio medici and from the early english dramatists but this style had become a part of lamb by long reading and he was apparently unable to express his new thought without using their old quaint expressions though these essays are all criticisms or appreciation of the life of his age they are all intensely personal in other words they are an excellent picture of lamb and of humanity without a trace of vanity or self-assertion lamb begins with himself with some purely personal mood or experience and from this he leads the reader to see life and literature as he saw it it is this wonderful combination of personal and universal interests together with lamb's rare old style and quaint humor which make the essays remarkable they continue the best tradition of addison and steele our first great essayists but their sympathies are broader and deeper and their humor more delicious than any which preceded them End of section forty eight